Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again this week. Uh, I've I stopped... Um, worrying about my introduction phrase because it's always the same every week it's just always the same and uh, it, it used to bother me and now i'm like whatever it's just what i do it's my tag right <laughs> uh we're here today uh brothers and sisters with brother quinn simpson a good friend of mine brother simpson welcome thank you thank you glad to be here uh brother simpson uh started his career in seminary and institute at the school that i was teaching at, at the time at centennial high school here in in uh, boise idaho and uh and Brother Simpson is just a rock star. I'm excited to have you on today. Thank you. Yeah, really excited for this too. Yeah. Tell us, uh, just so everybody gets to know you a little bit, tell us a little bit about you, wife and kids. What, sure. I don't know, just life. Yeah, well, um, let's see. I've, I've been married for about seven years, uh, coming on seven years here. We met down in Utah huh? at College English 2010. Highly recommend that. Cool, class. cool. Always will. <laughs> um, let's see. We have two boys, uh, Lincoln, who's four. He's going to be turning five this year. It's crazy. They're that old. I know. When I first met you, they were so much younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have Drew, who's uh, coming along. He's three. Yeah. And uh, they're just fantastic. They're they're inspirational and they're also mischievous. Yeah. Lincoln just sprayed a whole can of Febreze the other day oh. in the bathroom and <laughs> soaked the rugs. We had to get new toothbrushes. <laughs> like, so oh, you have those moments, right? And then, you know, we have these great moments as well during scripture study at home where they're like, you know, we don't listen to Satan, you know, we follow Jesus <laughs> and Santa. And it's like, so like literally that's how I would describe my life right now. And that's Jesus and Santa. Yeah. Jesus and Santa. <laughs> that's uh, And so it's, it's pretty much the best ever. And, and we really are just having the time of our lives. You know, we've moved here from Utah just to teach seminary. Sure. Um, our experience with that was I got the job in Southern Utah. They said, Hey, we want you to teach. Can you be in Boise in 10 days? Oh, wow. So yeah. we moved um, great distance, lived in a hotel for a month, yeah, that's uh, right. found our house. And, that's right. and uh, anyway, we've been here. I'm at Mountain View Seminary right now and absolutely loving it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's great to be here. Well, you're fantastic. I, we knew early on, uh, first week, that uh, you were going to be a fantastic teacher for the youth and, and the young adults here in, in the Valley. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we're going to be working on in the next uh, month or two is uh, encouraging those of you out there that are listening to come down and, and get to know us a little bit, right? Get to know us and, and spend some time at the Institute. And uh, that doesn't work for everybody that's out there. We, you know, we, I was thinking the other day, we've got, uh, there's at least nine listeners in Mongolia. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? And, and uh, so fantastic. those of you in Mongolia. Shout out to Mongolia. Right? Yeah. There you are. <laughs> um, but but I'm, I don't know if they're missionaries that are serving missions in Mongolia or they're, uh, uh, you know, members of a ward out there. Um, how close the institute is it to them is if they even have institute classes available for for those out there but but uh, we want to we want to just invite all those that are out and about to uh, to find an institute come down and and we're going to put together some uh, other tools that'll hopefully help us kind of interlink each other um, so I can be communicating with with those of you out there and and you can get on the horn and and uh, talk with brother Simpson and if short you know it would just be fun to to interact with you, whether you're in Boise or you're in Meridian or you're out out in the in the world somewhere. So, anyway, be looking for some stuff like that. We'll put some advertisements up on uh, the podcast here. That'll start happening in a month or so. So, anyway, well, Brother Simpson, it's it's great to be with you again. Um, we're going to be in Acts, mm-hmm. Acts chapter six through nine today. Yep. Um, obviously, the Savior has passed away, been resurrected, and and is back. Uh, has come back to teach and uh, set the apostles out. But uh, with that, I'm, I'm going to just turn it over to you and you're going to teach us all the good stuff. Fantastic. Thank you. No, and this was a block that, you know, I, I can't remember. You passed out kind of the sign-up sheet for it and said, hey, which, what blocks would you like to go into? I just, I clicked on this one. Yeah. I, I think I clicked on it because I was like, you know, I don't know 
I can't remember what's in this section, but when I opened it up, I was like, oh my goodness, yeah. I picked the best one, I yeah. think. So uh, here in Acts chapter six, seven, eight, and nine, we have, you know, I like to look at it and as I started my study, I looked at what, you know, Acts chapter one, yeah. right after this beginning. And you see this, this cool line where the savior is charging his disciples to be witnesses of him. Mm-hmm. And he's inviting them to go out and and it's this really cool th- ministry that they get to begin right. as witness of Jesus Christ yeah. that they're going to share. And hence we have the title of the book, Acts. We're going to be looking at the acts of the disciples of Jesus Christ and his apostles. Yeah. And so That's a great point. there's a lot of great things in here. Um, chapter six, kind of like an overview is, chapter six is kind of the beginning of, you know, the church is growing and there needs to be more people called to, to serve and called to help. So we see some of that happening and meet some of the characters in our in our story here and then in chapter seven we see one of those characters Stephen we see his testimony and how you know sometimes when we share in our witnesses of Christ um people won't listen yeah you know but Stephen provides this great example of what do I do when no one else believes me what do I do when people persecute me for being a witness of Christ and and how do I handle that chapter eight we have um, we have Philip coming in, who's another one of those who have been called to help. And That's right. we see Saul. This is the introduction in a way of Saul coming in. And we all know about Saul turning into Paul. And in fact, that's in chapter nine, we get that conversion story of, of Saul. And so there's a lot, there's a lot <laughs> and there's a lot. And we certainly won't be able to cover it all. But I, for one, after studying these chapters, would recommend anyone listening, dive into this yeah, and, yeah. and enjoy it. Cause it's an incredible history of people yeah. who had real life experience with the savior. So yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, jump us in chapter six. Okay. If we're looking at chapter six, like I said, we've got, uh, you know, in verse one, it really sets the scene. Well, verse one and two, there's just a lot of things going on and people are kind of feeling neglected. In fact, the widows, one of the most important populations at the time, you know, this would have been a group of people that needed help constant support in a way. Sure. And, uh, that you know there's this murmuring that occurs like hey these guys these this population these widows are not being taken care of and the explanation comes from the apostles you know in the 12 in verse 2 um you know they say it is not reason that we should leave the word of god and serve tables and you think oh that sounds a little harsh it sounds a little not christ-like but when you look at the eternal perspective and a charge from jesus christ his charge was to become a witness of him and and to begin to teach and so they're taking that as seriously as they should. Sure. So they come up with another solution. And this is actually kind of the first point that I, that I noticed here is as you look in verse three, um, let's see, wherefore brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy ghost and wisdom whom we appoint over this business. I think about this often because the savior, if we, if we were looking at this as a team, this is a team of people sure. who are, you know, and I, I like sports. So this team is charged with, you know, quite a game ahead of them. Yeah. This is a tough one. The star MVP, if you will, the one who has, who has changed everything, right. Has now left the field yeah. and he's looking at the rest of the team and he says, it's go like, for it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing is we all know that the, the savior could just jump in at any time, right. Change the score, make it all like I mean, in a way, we can. We know, as Elder Holland has said, we know the outcome of the game. Right. We know who's won, right. everything. But there's that knowing how yeah. we win. That yeah, no, I think you know. I think one of the things that's interesting to me about that concept is just the the act of delegating that that we see the apostles doing here. Right. That that um, we see it in a ward um, for sure. We see uh, a bishop with a heavy mantle, a heavy responsibility, um, and really. Uh, the the assignments made are to lighten that load. They're to to take a, what one man's ultimate responsibility and place that over the congregation and help them all see a need and lift and, uh, and and assist where they can with specific assignments to do specific things. Right in this case, these people, uh, these seven men, are being given a very specific assignment to oversee the widows to help the widows. Right in in the law of Moses. Uh, widow care was very clear. There was a lot of very specific detail about, you know, how to help care, uh, who was to care for, um, how you fed widows, um, those that uh, didn't didn't have their spouses anymore. So, so now with a lot of Moses being done, there's a need that the the church members are seeing. Like, hey, this is a problem, 
Um, and I think that's true in a ward too, right? We, we go around and we see, you just got put into a bishopric. I did. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like so, a month. Yeah. yeah. Been in for a month. Yeah. So you're, you're becoming maybe a little bit more like, uh, in, in some ways the apostles here where, where you're seeing needs and saying, okay, I can't do it all just cause I'm in the bishopric. My bishop can't do it all, but we can find other people in the ward that can, that we can delegate tasks to. Right. Absolutely. And to quote a bishop that, that I met and know really well. Uh, he's also a seminary teacher. Um, he mentioned that it would be cruel to think that one man should be responsible for the ministering of an entire group of people, yeah. hundreds of people. Right. It, it would be cruel to think that he needed to spend all of his days, crazy, you know, going out and, and doing that thing. Not that the work would be wrong. I've, we would laud it. You know, we would uh, we would praise that work. Sure. You know, the good things that would be done, but. It would be so hard. And in fact, we saw that in the Old Testament with Moses, right? He was doing it all and his father-in-law said, you can't keep doing this. Right, yeah. You're going to burn out and you're not going to be able to handle yeah. it. And that's it. We're, we're imperfect people. We need help. And to have the Savior kind of demonstrate through the, through the administration of his 12 here, I have an organization. And that organization is not, it's not to control. It's because there's a great work that needs doing. Yeah. And you need help and you need to work together. And that delegation, that teamwork that comes into play is huge. When every player of the team feels, you know, t driven towards the vision, the yeah. purpose, you know, and in this case, the kingdom of God, there's, there's some powerful works that start happening. And yeah, like I that. think about, um, I think about young adults in young adult wards, uh, where they're getting really first callings that are of significance and weight and or callings that they feel maybe aren't that significant mm -hmm. or weighty. And I think about how um, on the team, you need all the players. You need the guy that's super fast. You need the guy that's super strong. You need, you know, you need all those individual players. And I, I think there's a lot of power in being able to say, I have these skills. They're mine. Uh, I've been given this assignment. How do I facilitate that assignment with my skills? And, and maybe even more importantly, how do I look to other people in my ward for help that I need without just going to the top all the time. How do I, how do I not just go to my bishop? Who's first off, who's assigned to me, mm -hmm. uh, to be, to be my caretaker, my, my minister, right? Obviously we have ministers, but, but there are others, right? You've got a whole elders quorum presidency. You've got a whole release society presidency. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and primary and young women's presidencies for, for helping your children. Um, and, and I think we've kind of fall into the pattern of just going straight to the top of the ward and dumping everything on the bishop I, i'm actually preparing a talk uh for late this month um on lightening the bishop's load in in uh, in our stake and helping our bishops uh, understand uh, helping the ward members understand where they can go uh for assistance because if all these widows went straight to the apostles yeah you know they did bury them just that one group of people and there's how many different groups of people in the church that we would see oh absolutely yeah significant that that's significant. I love that. Love that. Yep, absolutely. And so you see this, you know, going back into the text there, you see this invitation to find these seven men. And it says, you know, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And I think about that, you know, you know, oftentimes I think we place, you mentioned earlier, you know, like, especially in the young adult world where we're getting into this area of accepting callings and, and doing things. I think there's a temptation to, to worry like, oh, if I get, if I'm called to be the ward, you know, chorister, you know, yeah, I don't know. And are, am I getting the same description? Am I honest report full of the Holy Ghost and do I have wisdom? Sure. And I think we worry and we place value on these kinds of different things. I can tell you having been recently called into the bishopric, I'm, I think I'm lacking like all three of those <laughs> you're, things. You're still you. <laughs> yeah, I'm still me. I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't know. And, and I think there's just a, I've had to really accept and trust the Lord on this one. Mm. And it's like you said, we can't keep going to the top because we, we don't go to the, you know, we go to the savior and, and we discuss and we counsel things and, and you know, but I, for one, am not one that asks the savior to fix everything for me. Yeah. I bring it to him and I say, Hey, if it's possible, would you please, would you please help me with that? But if not, will you give me the strength to get through this sure. right now? Yeah. And, and it really has changed how I pray and, I had a very good friend of mine. He lives in Hawaii um, and he has a little girl. And I was on the phone with him one day talking and he, I could hear his little girl in the background and she was climbing a tree in the backyard. And I hear her voice over the phone as we're talking and it says, 
daddy, come help me climb the tree, right? Come help me on this part. And you can kind of just imagine this little girl's probably hanging on that first branch, <laughs> right. trying to like figure out where to put her feet and climb up kind of a thing. And the wisdom from my friend came out as he said this, he said, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to be right here. Quite honestly, that is a very bold statement to say to a group of people who are very angry with you yeah. about what you're saying. Right. And I just remark in, uh, you might call it moral courage. You might call it something else. But if I'm in today's world, I want to be more like Stephen. And, and I don't know that I look at verse 51 and the resisting confrontation and contention part of me is like, whoa, that seems a bit rude, Stephen. <laughs> but when you really look at that phrase in verse 51, there's no malice in what he's saying. That's truth. That's, that's the wisdom and that's what he's been doing. And that's the hard part about accepting truth is it's often not received well no. when it's pointed out so blat blatantly. No, you know, it's interesting in the Book of Mormon when uh, Nephi is speaking with his brothers, um, maybe this is semantics, but I don't think so. The, the, the place where Nephi's brothers are asking for, def for the, for the um, visions to be explained because they don't get revelation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, Nephi gets after him a little bit and they say something to the effect of, uh, this is hard for us to hear. You know, uh, I think maybe harkens a little bit to what Stephen's having here. These people are not listening to the Spirit. They're not willing to learn by the Spirit. And so it's hard for them to hear. And it's interesting because the heading of that chapter in the Book of Mormon, and I'm sorry, I don't have it off the top of my head. Um, the heading talks about how the wicked take it the truth to be hard. We know that the headings are written after the fact, after the translation. They're just a summary of the the chapter, but I think there's a significant difference in what's actually said in the scriptures from what's said in the heading. Mm. Um, if I'm if I'm taking some new doctrine or something a prophet says or or um, something that that maybe flies in my personal belief faiths, um, I'm taking that hard. I think it's pretty harsh to think that I'm wicked because I'm taking it hard. Mm, absolutely. But if you look at the verses in in that section in the in the Book of Mormon, it says that the guilty take it the truth to be hard. There's a difference between wicked and guilty, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I'm guilty of all kinds of stuff, and maybe that makes me wicked. For sure, it makes me not godly, right? And and I guess you you could semantically say that well, we're we're just talking the same thing. But but there's something personal that feels harsher about being called wicked and and i think you know when we get to 52 in in act 7 it says uh you know he, he, stephen's saying your fathers did these things too right uh, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and that and have slain them which should before of the coming of, ju of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers right he's not he's not He's not calling them wicked. He's just saying this is what's happened, right? This is the history of what's going on here. And and really all of these verses from one through that section there is him just identifying. I might back, just back us up a little bit, 37. Absolutely. He's been talking about Moses and, and, and Moses saying uh, who, who he is. Moses' prophecy of Christ is right here. Verse 37, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. And keep going, 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with your fathers who received the, the lively oracles to give unto us. This is, this is the guy, this is the God that spoke to me on the mountain. Mm -hmm. This is the, he's coming to do this stuff. Right? For, uh, 39, to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts returned back again into Egypt. Yeah. Right? The people that just rejected Moses, right? Mm -hmm. Stephen's not. <laughs> He's not saying you're wicked people. He's just saying, look what's going on. This is, this is all prophesied. This is all stuff that has happened. Just look at it. Just pay attention to it. Um, there's a way to come back. He wouldn't be teaching them if, there was, if they were so, so far gone, right? Absolutely. And I think with all that, the, the biggest point that... I think the Savior tries to help us understand is he can see what has happened. He sees the actions that we've taken and the desires that we have in our hearts. And you'll see Stephen later in those verses going on and talking about how Aaron and how they made a calf. And then yeah. 
he invites them to kind of take a relevant moment and says, yea, look, uh, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Rem- Remphan, figures, which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And it's like, do you guys see how similar you are right now to them at the bottom of Mount Sinai? Yeah. It's amazing that we're making this connection. We're having this likening moment from Old Testament to New Testament. Stephen is saying, guys, this is happening again. Yeah. We're, we're in the same boat. And the best part about it is we know what happens. Yeah. If, if you can stop right here and see what's happening, we could change it. It doesn't have to keep going the way that, that we, we look at it. And, and maybe it's true today too, right? Maybe, maybe we, well, for sure, um, we hear prophets speak and we question. Mm. We hear prophets speak and we, um, we rightfully maybe, we want to go receive our own revelation about the thing. For sure. Yeah. But until it comes, we put it on the back burner and we're not, we're not going to live that way. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think in a very similar way, we find our own uh, gods to worship and, and uh, whether it's just through social media or it's through the news, um, and we take our cues from those gods, right? Those things that are, that are helping me become more um, comfortable in the world, more um, accepted, um, and and wanting to feel accepted, wanting to feel loved, um, and knowing that when I fail, when I when I live short of what Heavenly Father's asked of me, I feel guilty, and uh, I don't like that feeling, and so I just don't ever look at that, and and I question all the things that make me feel guilty because those are hard for me. Absolutely, right? yeah. And I mean. And I'm glad, you know, that we look at it, we're looking at it like this because I feel like that's something that just happens so much today. This, uh, this feeling of, if I feel guilty about it, then it's oppressive. It's not helpful. When in all actuality, I think the only reason Stephen, who, as we mentioned before from chapter six, is of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost with wisdom. Right. I think Stephen brings this up because he's trying to bring it to their attention of, if you would like to come to Christ this is it. This is what stands in your way uh, of coming to him more fully. That can be a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, coming from my own life, I've had several of those moments where it's been made clear to me, like, hey, this is holding you back, not helping you move forward. Yeah. And I think that's where Stephen's coming from, because I feel like that's what the Savior says all the time. (laughs) Yeah. What would it look like um, for someone to hear something so harshly against the way they're living their life? Um, that's true, um, but to hear it and uh, just change, mm. just say, you're right, I'm going to change. It's one of the things I think is kind of funny about like sitcoms where, you know, they, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, one in particular where, where a, a husband and a wife are kind of the show. It's kind of about them, right? Sure. And they have these like, in a 30 minute show, they have these big blow up fights. And at the end, they're sitting on their bed together and they're like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, and, and, and they portray it like it took 15 minutes for them to get to this <laughs> massive thing that took me and my wife like four days. right? <laughs> <clears throat> but, um, but it's interesting because I think that concept of um, looking honestly at, at what we're doing and to being able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm doing it wrong. And to step away is so contrary to what we see. Right, it's so backwards from what we see so many people doing, and ourselves included, probably on some levels. That you know, when we get to the end of this chapter here, um, Stephen's kind of calling them out. and says, "You've mm-hmm. you're doing the same things your the prophets, your, your fathers did to prophets before." And then fifty four, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they did gnash on him with their teeth. The opposite of doing that would be cut to the heart and fell to their knees and joyfully had an opportunity to repent and uh, and start over and and follow and and find the happiness and the joy that's found in living the gospel and and having that as um, your your stalwart baseline place right but he 55 being full of the holy ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven saw the glory of god and jesus standing on the right hand of god right so so he even in the middle of that uh, looks to god sees god uh, I just, I don't know. I just think there's a lot there that, that is important for us to recognize when we are feeling guilty, when we are feeling um, like a truth or a statement from a prophet or apostle 
is contrary to the way I'm living my life, um, if I take it as a knock, if it comes to me and I'm offended by something, perhaps there's something to look at in our lives, um, if we're just honest, um, that sets us in a little different course. Um, if, if, I, if I take those comments, those things that are hard for me to hear, and I flip them around and I look at them, I investigate them, why are they hard? What is it about that thing that is hard for me? Um, and, and, and maybe it's out of good things. I think of, of so many people who struggle with um, uh, the church's position maybe on uh, homosexuality. And out of, out of good and honest feelings of love for others and wanting to accept and to, to help other people feel loved, and, which is so good and exactly what the church is teaching. But they step beyond, the, beyond that point to be offended because there is a line and there is a law and um and and so what what is it that is offensive to us and how do we how do we back up from it absolutely and in particular right and i think that's why looking at acts in such a modern light right now can be so helpful you know one let's learn from our our ancestors you know they didn't always do it right you know they had great moments and in fact we could say that of the old testament wow some incredible moments sure. for the children of Israel, you know, sure. um, and also some moments where they, they messed up. Where they built a cow. They built a cow, a golden cow <laughs> instead of worshiping the Lord. And it's right. like, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was an oops moment for sure. Um, and we have, and our ancestors have those, but looking forward on, you know, towards the Savior and, and, all, and all those points, right? It's that eternal perspective that Jesus Christ has always been and always will be the way, the truth, and the life, as you mentioned, you know, in John. And... What a, what a beautiful thing to remember that our Savior's in, you know, in charge of this. Our Savior is the one who's, who's setting the lines. And I think what better person in the world to set up the lines, the guidelines, the, the commandments that guide and protect us. Sure. You know? yeah. And you know, talking about a group of people that hearing about these commandments, hearing about these things that the Lord has set and feeling it in their hearts to the point where kind of where we said that it cut to the heart, right? And then wanting to make a change from that, you know, looking at Mosiah chapter five, King Benjamin is just given, you know, if we're looking at the book of Mormon, there's a big sermon that he's given from a tower. And he says, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he wants to, he's desiring to know the people if they believe the words which he's spoken. So he sends out and then he gets this and they all cried with one voice. Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us. And also we know of their surety and truth because of the spirit of the Lord omnipotent which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts that we may, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. And we ourselves also through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his spirit have great views of that, which is to come and word expedient. We could prophesy of all things. And I think I've just lived my whole life thinking that those were just a righteous group of people who, you know, think, but they were like you and me. They're like the young adults today. We all show up at general conference and I, I can guarantee there's not a clean soul in the building. Right. You know? <laughs> I tell my students that here at the seminary and I, and I hope, and I do explain it and I'll explain it to you now, but I call them sinners. Yeah. I, I call them all sinners sometimes. Yeah. In fact, it's the best way to get at their Welcome attention. Class, sinners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I hope they recognize that and I hope that they recognize, yeah, you are a sinner, but that doesn't mean you know, you're wicked. You're, you're not wicked. You, you, you're going to, ha- yeah, you're guilty. You've done things that are wrong and you'll, you'll continue to do things. And I think this group here in, in Mosiah demonstrates to us when you feel that right to the heart, that is the time, that is the sign from the Lord to say, you know what, follow this way and, and great joy can be yours. Mm-hmm. So Stephen is just, I think, what a wonderful thing. And as you mentioned, right, as we were going on in verse 55 and things like that, the incredible vision that Stephen sees, despite literally being in the act of, of being martyred, yeah. you know, right in, the of it. right in the middle of this, Stephen sees this. And I think, wow. Yeah. And it, it even talks about what he's seeing, right? He's, he's in the midst of being stoned and being killed and, and he sees, again, another proof of the, of the Godhead, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, 56. And I read that. He says, yeah. it said, he and said, he being Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. 
I always look in the New Testament for for evidences of the Godhead being three separate beings. I think mm-hmm. it's so foundational to our faith um, that that uh, and that we know who God is and, and our relationship to Him and who Christ is and our relationship to Him. So anyway, I just think I just think it's cool when we see little things like that that are so clear. You know, when Stephen sees that, absolutely. But then the next line is interesting to me. Then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord that they had to just ignore yeah. what was being said mm-hmm. so that they could do what they were going to do. Yeah. Pretty harsh. That is really harsh. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty harsh. Interesting. And I, you know, I admire Stephen in this moment. If you look back at verse 55, it says that he looked up steadfastly. Yeah. You're, you're in the midst of enemies who are, and I don't know, and I sure hope that this doesn't happen to any person where they're in a group of people that are angrily, you know, disputing with them and that to the point of threatening death, you know, where Stephen's in right now. But if we do find ourselves in a situation where we are threatened, may we take like a, a learning curve from, from Stephen here and look up steadfastly. Because when we do, that's when we'll see, you know, what Stephen saw in a way, right? Yeah. I don't know that you're going to get the same vision as Stephen. Right. But for me, I, I believe that Jesus Christ would be the one to tell you that I will be there. Right. Yeah. I will be there in your hardest moments. And I don't know, Stephen does a great job of looking at that. And yeah. Th- th- yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, and and he, he even says a little prayer at the very end, right? Mm-hmm. Verse 59, they stone Stephen while he's calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, have received my spirit. He kneeling down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin on their charge. And then this beautiful little last line. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Um, you know, that, that, uh, that we get um, such a brutal end for Stephen, but that the writer of uh, Acts sees this more like the Lord let him fall asleep, brought him home uh, as he was being martyred. And yeah, uh, Luke, I think, is the, the writer of Acts, at least as, as far as we understand. But anyway, there's an interesting verse in there, and maybe, maybe you can help us. Maybe it's our, our transition. Sure, sure. Uh, verse 58. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, talk, read it and we'll talk about it. And uh, so this is, you know, right after they've stopped their ears and they rush forward with one accord and they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. You know, they, right. this this Old Testament tradition coming out, um, usually, and this is always to the death, you know, uh, there's the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. <laughs> and this is got to be one of the most interesting introductions to a disciple of Christ that I have ever heard. Um, certainly very much like Alma the Younger in the Book of Mormon, but wow, this is like entering into the the scene comes a person that you were like, yeah, that's the last person I'd pick to yeah. become one of the greatest missionaries of right? the Savior of all time. Yeah, he's and, like the mob boss, yeah. <laughs> right? He's like, these witnesses are like, we did this. This is the guy we, right? And they go to him, Acts twenty two twenty. there's a cross-reference there mm-hmm. um, in that about when they laid down their clothes and says, um, when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. So there was some, he was not only just a bad guy at the beginning here, he was some leader, Right, that that some would come to him and lay their clothes down for him, saying, "Here's you want a ring? You want you want a, here's the ring of the guy that killed Stephen." Yeah, right. I mean, like this this is some this is some some thuggery going on. Absolutely, right. And the the level of conspiracy in that is just like oh, really? oh, you know, to think about all the things that happened there. And that's you look in verse you look in chapter eight, right? As we transition into that. Um, and Saul was consenting unto his death, meaning yeah. Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Yeah. This is a tough time right. to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. Yeah. Right. This is a really, really hard time. And in verse two, the burial of Stephen. Um, yeah. And they, you know, you see this, this event. People recognize what Stephen did and they are appreciative of that moment. Sure. Um, but Saul continues, as it says, to make havoc of the church. And he's committing men and women to prison for believing in Jesus Christ. Mm. So it's just kind of this introduction to Saul that you're like, okay, we need to understand that this was put in here mm. for some reason. 
there was a divine purpose in helping us understand that Saul was on the opposite end sure. of following Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Actively persecuting those who did. And I, I love to ask that question. Why, why did the writer put this introduction of Saul in right here? Right. Why was it made so clear what Saul was doing? Um, and I don't know if that's a question, you know, as we study and as we look at this, I think there's great things to be revealed from it. Well, just before we go on, and, and I, there's there's so much there, but but we see very similar types of Saul in the Book of Mormon. I, I think obviously we we think of Alma the Younger, but if we back up from Alma the Younger and we think about Alma the Older, mm. Alma the Older, if we remember when King Noah got put on as the king, put in as the king, he let all of the righteous priests go and put in wicked priests who were not doing well the, the, the stories in in alma and mosiah about what those priests were doing were pretty wicked guys right and so we've got alma the older living it up as a priest mm-hmm. and abinadi comes in and converts him right and and i've always just wondered about alma the younger how old was he when he was watching his was he watching his dad live it up as a as a priest did he did he get it from his dad and and you know so 20 years later he's now living it up he's like whatever dad who are you Look what you did, right? I mean, if, we, if we're really honest and clear about what Alma the Younger did or Alma the Older did, maybe there was some rebellion in his son because of what he had done, right? And, and I think there's, that it ties to me because for, um, for Saul to have been a leader even and, and condoning these, these killings and, and rebellion against the church to convert and become Paul um, just like Alma the Younger said, I had murdered. But then he clarifies and says, not that I'd killed anybody, not that he, maybe he did, I don't know. Right. But that they would not ever join the church because of the things he had done. Right. And and Saul probably, physically at least, was culpable to some degree of murder, but, um, but probably had a very similar kind of um, experience on some of those that were watching him that, that they weren't going to join the church even after he did. But yet, look what he does. He goes just like Alma the Younger out to preach and to teach. Becomes significant. We're, we're ahead. We're jumping ahead. Yeah, it's awesome though. And a great, you know, you got to have that big picture look when you're right, talking sure, about sure. this. So I, I find, you know, this, you know, persecution of the church at yeah. the beginning of chapter eight, it's something that Christians are unfortunately very familiar with, Yeah, I think throughout the history of you know our church and of other our, our fellow christian churches right yeah there's persecution to it and you know and, and we're not you know we're not the best example all the time either of being kind and christ-like either there's there's been a lot of that back and forth but yeah. to see this and that but this is the interesting part the first four verses introduce this kind of persecution that saul is heading and the you know this great havoc that's happening here and then verse five happens the second second of the seven in a way right. uh, that we're reading about of these men that were called philip yep and he says he went down to the city of samaria and preached christ unto them mm. now this is a pretty significant verse because jerusalem has been the hub of all of this preaching and teaching right sure. and the apostles yeah. have been focusing on that this is one of the first times i think we get this idea of we're going to step outside of jerusalem yeah we're going to go to the people that the jews have never had a good relationship with ever, we're going to teach Christ to them. Right. And that's just kind of like, I mean, if you understand the significance and the history of that, that verse five is a, whoa. Yeah. Philip went where? Time to step out. Philip stepped out of of Jerusalem. And I saw in there like kind of a principle, I think for young adults here in a, you, you know, we live in a world where there is going to be confusion. There's disputation. There's all these things that happen. And quite honestly, I think witnessing of Christ starts at home. Yeah. Witnessing of Christ starts with you. And once it does, I don't think it can be contained in one spot. Mm -hmm. There's a natural growth and a natural desire to grow. Philip is acting on that natural progress of witnessing of Christ. It cannot stay in just one place. It has to go somewhere. So it begins to expand from here. Well, and and maybe there's a flip side to that coin too, where perhaps at home is the place that it's easiest to let your hair down and not be mm. a disciple, right? Where where you're behind your closed doors and you can do things nobody sees you do. And and then when you are out, 
um, is when you get tested, are you going to teach this? Is this something you're going to do? I think of of young men getting ready to go serve missions. Um, you know, what are they what are they thinking? What are they preparing for? Are they aware of what they're preparing for? How how you know what are they doing at home that's preparing them? And uh, for Philip to to go away and to go out into the world is the first missionary, really. I mean, this this kind of feeling mm-hmm. and uh, to preach Christ unto them. I love that phrase, yeah. right? Preach Christ unto them. But but listen to how it's received. Then the people with one accord gave heed unto those which Philip spake, those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So like they're all one accord. That's like the whole city of Boise. Like, hey, yes, yeah, we believe, right? <laughs> wow, successful, absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Philip's now out um, and having this this wonderful experience. Um, and uh, there's man, there's a lot of story here. Uh, do we want to do we want to dive into Philip a little bit more? Do we want to stick with Saul and kind of jump oh, into? It's like we said, we won't be able to get through the whole yeah. thing, but. So much in here you'll love to read about um, Simon, uh, not Simon Peter, but a Simon who used sorcery and he's bewitched kind of right. the people of the town. And and quite honestly, it's something to believe in. Yeah. He presented something to believe in that people did that. And anyway, you'll find a lot of great insight, I think, as you study in those. And, yeah. and you see how Philip handled that. And then at the end of that chapter, Philip encounters, well, Philip has this cool thing where the spirit says, Hey, I need you to go to this place that's booming with Christ-like activity now. Right. Like yeah. is just you have we have set up a church here and it is beautiful what's yeah. happening. And I need you to go to a desert. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> why am I leaving this wonderful place and going to a desert? I feel for you young adults out there who have moved for college sure. and you have you're like, I've got a comfortable thing going, I've got a good thing going. And then the spirit's like, Hey, I need you to go where you don't have anything going. Right. There's a thought of like, oh, am I doing the right thing? But you see his interaction and the wonderful, cool thing that happens there. Um, well, but- b- before you go off of that, then mm-hmm. um, just a shout out in my mind. Um, uh, some weeks back, a few weeks back, uh, we had Becca Harvey on, mm-hmm. uh, who is the Institute right, Council uh, President, uh, student president down at the Institute. And, and she is that person. She was living in Utah, going to school. Things were good. Um, she was involved in a, a wonderful institute program down there, um, and all of a sudden just felt prompted to go to Boise and get her master's degree from Boise State, and and uh, so she picks up and leaves and comes, and, and, and I hope she's okay with me sharing this, but it wasn't as easy as she wanted it to be, and, uh, and maybe finding herself in a deserted place, in a desert, so to speak, but over the years of her experience being here, um, and to see what she's doing now and what she's offering now to the Institute, man, we're glad she picked up and left. Um, as hard as it's been on her, um, her and growth, right? She's growing and developing, but, but uh, working for the church and, and being a, uh, a major player at the Institute has just been such a blessing to us that uh, lived in the deserted place, maybe. Mm-hmm. For, but anyway, just a little shout out to Becca. Yep, love that example. So... You'll see that and you'll see a great interaction there as well. And just as a little cliffhanger, there's there's a little bit of spiritual teleportation that happens yeah. in uh, <laughs> chapter eight. So I'll leave that there and you guys can dive in. And That's cool. It. It's really cool. So uh, that takes us to chapter nine then. Yeah, which is quite honestly just a wonderful, amazing experience that you read. This is when Jesus appears to Saul oh. in, in the summary words right there. Right, go to Damascus. And I think if you can ever... I think there's many instances in the scriptures and like, it's a history, right? It's people interacting, having real life experiences. But, and you see a lot of that. You see like from Philip, the last chapter, feeling the spirit and being sent by the spirit. And then you have maybe prophets and apostles that call or send out administrations. But what we're about to read is Jesus Christ himself yeah. appearing to Saul. Yeah. I just, that, that alone is just an amazing. Pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy moment. So... Well, verse one, we're in Saul breathing out threatenings. Man, that's a that's a thing when you like breathe and it's threatening. Right. That's uh, quite an intro, right? And but then we also see you no know, slaughter. Yeah, this is not just a throwing you in prison kind of persecution. This is people are dying. Yeah, and Saul is at the head of that. So, anyway, keep that in mind as we study onward. Hmm. He wanted to go to Damascus to find a way to to imprison more people to 
to kill more of the followers of Jesus Christ, right? Mm. Um, men or women, it even says. Yep, men or women, didn't matter. Mm. Um, and in verse three, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined around, around about him a light from heaven. Mm. And I think, I think we've, I don't know, if you're sitting out here and you're listening to this story and you're like, that's happened to me. I, I've been on a path that was not leading to any good. I thought it may have been, yeah. but it wasn't. And you've suddenly had a light shine around about you. Then you know exactly, you know, you know how Saul is feeling right yeah. now, but the Lord does work like that, you know? Well, and, 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 um, <laughs> it maybe goes back to what we were talking about before that, that are you willing to just say, yeah, I'm guilty. And I'm going to put this down when that light comes, right? Absolutely. Because um, I think the light does come. And I think we either come closer to God or much farther away, depending on how we re react and respond to that light. Um, the light has a, in order to get away from that light, you have to go so far into the darkness to not see it anymore. And I think that that's something we see in the latter days, especially with the righteous that are falling is they go so far away from the light um, so that they don't see it, so they can't feel it. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, just maybe a little telling here. Absolutely, yeah. And verse four, he falls to the earth and hears the voice, you know, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse five, he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Hmm. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And, you know, so there's this, I don't know about you, but to us, that phrase to Saul probably means nothing. Yeah. But when you have a Lord that you, that, whose church you're persecuting, who calls you by name right. and then brings up something that seems really personal, mm. it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Mm. Whoa. To me, I bet for Saul, there was something in those words that just cut him to the heart. Sure. Right. Yeah. As we've been talking. Verse six, though, kind of going back to what we talked about, you know, when that light comes and you feel that, that prompting to, to do what's right and you're cut to the heart, look at, look at what Saul does. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? What? That's the question that Saul asks. I'm, I'm impressed and amazed by that, that right. response. What do you need? I'll do it. <laughs> uh, yep. I don't know what happened between verse five and <laughs> yeah. verse six. A little bit, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. But if you look in the footnote on 6a, you'll see that it says conversion. Yeah. Something happened between verse 5 and verse 6 where Paul, or Saul, sorry, he's going to be Paul, uh, is feeling converted mm -hmm. to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then receives his first, in a way, first commandment from the Lord to go uh, into the city and shall be told thee what thou must do. Yeah. Which isn't a very specific commandment, but it is something that says, here's your first thing. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I might I might at this point just point everybody to Acts chapter 22, because Acts 22 is where uh, Paul, Saul, mm -hmm. um, tells his own experience. This is, this is written in this account here um, as if this is his, um, sorry, as if this is Luke writing. But in 22, we get it more of a firsthand account from uh, Paul. And uh, I think it's, I think that's significant because... Um, we learn little things like the city he's told to go into is Damascus. Go into Damascus, this place where you were just going to go gather the saints and take them back to Jerusalem and throw them in jail um, and now go and preach and teach in Damascus, right? We, we get this, uh, this exact opposite instruction from what he wanted to do, what he was planning to do um, from the Savior. And we learn that a little bit in 22, right? There's, there's some things there. And I might just, since we're on that topic, uh, verse 7 uh, I think teaches us something as well. Uh, the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. If we read uh, the, uh, the account in 22, verse 20, um, it says, uh, is that the right, is that the right reference? Let me make sure I'm telling you the right reference. Let's see, 22, 22.9, sorry. 22, nine. Yeah, 22.9. They that were with him, with me, now this is his first-hand account, saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So there's differing accounts. 
we've got a firsthand account where, where he says they didn't hear the voice. But when, when Luke's writing about it, um, those that were journeying with him stood speechless, hearing a voice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting to me, and I, and I maybe equate that to the different accounts of the first vision, mm-hmm. right? Where Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, there's just different things said in different accounts. And if it's written secondhand, of course, they're going to write it a little bit differently. They're not going to include some things Joseph would have included. Um, if you're writing to a different audience, right, if you're speaking to a different audience, you know, so, so there's proof here that we don't have to have a first and a secondhand account exactly the same in order to believe it. Mm-hmm. We don't know which of them it is. And I tend to lean towards, towards Paul's re- reference, right, that they did hear it because that's what he said. And he was there. Luke maybe wasn't there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, just to, just to kind of a side note in, in this experience that I think is important for us to pin on our modern day experiences with, uh, with revelation and visions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he's had this uh, he's had this experience, and he just gets up and goes, doesn't he? Yes. He just says, "Okay, I'm going to go and do that." And I want to kind of pause and point out the elephant in the room. We literally read in verse one that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and suddenly it's like, um, the Lord calls him, and okay, yep, I'm going to go and do that. Yeah. There's a lot of in between there that we don't get to read about per se. And then maybe in Acts 22, I haven't read that for myself quite yet or studied it deeply at least. But there's a lot there that's like, wait, is that just going to be excused? Is that just going to be okay? And to me personally, there's, you know, I think in a lot of us, there's this demand of justice. Like, hey, hold on Fix that. You can't just let him go. I do the same thing with Alma the Younger, right? Like, (laughs) what? I just felt like, and you know, I remember the stuff my dad said, and I, and I was forgiven, and I yeah. right, I'm like, yeah. well, no, I think there, there's some, there's some experience there that probably is left out. Absolutely, and you know, we may never know, and you may want to interview Paul when you meet him in sure. heaven, you know, right. talk to him about this experience. But I think as well, it's just another reminder of the Lord's mercy. Yeah, you know, the Lord is full of justice. Yeah, and I will always rely on Him for that kind of justice. But at the same time. Never forget how merciful the Lord is. And yeah. to, you know, to anyone who's in need of speaking with the bishop or, or making amends in your life, considering your ways, yeah. know that the Lord is that merciful. Yeah. I've, I've talked with many people. In fact, I just met a young woman who, you know, if she ever listens to this, you know, you know, I hope you know where I'm coming from with this, who said, you know, I don't really go to church because I just feel like I've done so many bad things and I just don't feel like I belong as part of this church. I'm sure Saul had to go through. In fact, you'll read about that. He meets other disciples of the church after he's joined and they're like, we're not going to hang out with you. We know what you did. Yeah. You know? And that must've been hard, but you know what? There's something about Jesus Christ that always comes back to his love yeah. and his mercy. And in fact, I believe that's what happened between verses five and six. True. At some point, Saul really was pierced by the love of Jesus Christ. Because there, because it was there, it wasn't made up. It wasn't implied. Jesus Christ loved Saul. Yeah, and I, you know, I've always read verse four. The question: Why persecutest thou me? Mm-hmm. As a judgmental, like Saul, what's your deal? What's your problem? Yeah. Like, seriously, what is wrong with you? Like I'm, like this is such a good thing going on, and you're really messing it up. Right. But what if we change that and we said that with a lot more love? Hmm. Saul, Saul, why? Yeah, why persecutest thou me? Not as in the Savior is feeling hurt by that, but as in, Saul, I know this hurts you. Yeah. I know how painful sure. this is for you. And I know it's hey, not helping. Why are you doing this? Exactly. Why, Saul, are you doing this? And I think about that when the Savior looks at us and our personal sins and our personal things that we hide away or this, that the adversary tells us, yeah. don't bring that up. Yeah. You don't belong there anymore. Right, sure. These lies that he tells us, and it comes back to that guilt thing. The, the adversary will use shame to tell you that you are wicked. And that there is no hope for you yeah. because you are something. When in all actuality, the Savior is saying, you did something wrong and I'm here to help you. And why are you just still doing it wrong when it's hurting you? Mm-hmm. It, you know, and maybe there's something that, that we should clarify here that uh, Saul and down with the younger did receive forgiveness that quickly. Um, that it took them some time to work through their problems that they then had to deal with the consequences um, is something I think that that uh, maybe was between the lines there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but one of the things that I think is so beautiful that President Nelson is teaching is the daily joyful repentance, right? 
It doesn't take time to repent of a sin. It takes time to overcome the effects of the sin and to overcome the desires to continue to sin. Um, but as soon as you have gone and, and met with the Lord or a bishop when that's needed and confessed and desired to forsake, it's gone. It's taken from you as often as you ask. And I think sometimes we misinterpret the four-month period where you don't partake of the sacrament maybe as, well, you're, you're not forgiven till four months later, mm -hmm. right? As if somehow that is um, the, the, a time period is needed before God will forgive you. And that's just not true. It's not doctrine at all. Uh, that time period is, is associated so that you can uh, work through those feelings and, and partake of the sacrament worthily and, and, um, and, and not do it in a, in a condemning way. At any rate, I just think there's some there's something interesting about uh, the the immediate relief of forgiveness that we see in Paul and Alma the Younger. For as wicked as they were, immediately they've received forgiveness and then counsel and instruction to go about the work. And yet, you and I, we do dumb little things that aren't even kind of on the same scale, and we hold off repenting, and we sit back thinking, "Oh, it's going to take me so much time." and an effort, and maybe it does, to overcome the sin, to not do it anymore, but to ask for forgiveness daily of it when you've screwed up again, and to speak with the bishop when you need to, um, and just get that help. Uh, it, it isn't about the time it takes to repent. It's about just the act of repenting. Absolutely. And going with that and everything that you're saying, hearing from President Nelson right now, this is from last year, you know, please do not fear or delay repenting. Satan delights in your misery. Cut it short. Yeah. Cast his influence out of your life. Start today to experience the joy of putting off the natural man. The Savior loves us always, but especially when we repent. He promised that though the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, my kindness shall not depart from thee. Mm. If you feel you have strayed off the covenant path too far or too long and have no way to return, that simply is not true. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Brother Simpson, uh, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to touch on at the very end here, but but uh, so much uh, we learn from the Acts of the Apostles and the things they go out and do. Um, so much that I connect myself to, to Saul, uh, who has become Paul, um, and to this day is Paul, right? Yeah. And uh, grateful for that example, and Alma the Younger, and King Benjamin, and all those that that uh, were immediately converted. I, I just learned so much, and, and I, th I, th I love the way you've presented this to us today um, by way of just showing these little experiences, these vignettes maybe, um, of people that were being influenced by the apostles and following or not following and, and uh, the consequences of that, both directions, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been, been wonderful. Anything else you want to share with us about, about this before we close this up? I think um, the biggest thing that I can just testify of is the power of the word. You know, in doing these cool podcasts that, you know, listening to these as, as you've been making them, or quite honestly, being pretty excited that I get to be yeah. on now, um, <laughs> has been a wonderful experience in learning more about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Once again, diving in, you can't go, I mean, you can't even walk a step in the scriptures without feeling and understanding more about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, maybe Isaiah, you walk a few steps, but sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I just think to anyone out there who is struggling with diving into the word or studying, or maybe you just have a hard time understanding. Maybe you do walk a few steps before you feel like you're recognizing Christ in there. I just say to you, you just keep trying. Yeah. You know, I, I gained a lot by reading through Acts six through nine and I read through it a couple of times, several times, in fact, getting ready for just this discussion. Sure. And quite honestly, I know that there's more. Yeah. Even after all that we talked about, a, a good long time of talking about it. So I just want to just testify of the power of the word. You know, it, it really does come from Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if you read it like it's from his perspective, it's what the Savior wanted you today in this world, yeah. 2023, to hear and know about him, then you will have guidance you will be led to what you should do. And I know that you're making a lot of decisions right now. Anybody listening to this, you're going to make a decision today 
you know, or tomorrow that's going to be impactful, you know? So I just say, trust in the words and, and rejoice in the fact that you get to study it. Yeah. Go back and read these, ver- these chapters again and find more things that we didn't even touch on yeah. because I know you will. Yeah. Um, but I just testify that Jesus Christ, man, the kinds of experiences that he lets us have, the kinds of things he saw, the disciples and, and these wonderful people we read about today have, they're real. He really interacts with us today. And I testify that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you. This has been so good. We will definitely have you back on. <laughs> <Sweet>. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Quinn. Hey, thank you. See ya.